0: Get into the Word of God today. We are in a series called Gear Up. You know that. You see that. If you are going to post something on um, um, social media, please use this hashtag so we will all see it. Also, if you would like the sermon notes, uh, use this email address. Recur- request the notes. You won't be very specific about the date. If you like the whole series, you can get whatever you want. On that. Let's get into the Word of God today in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Now, these scriptures that I'm about to read are going to come up on the screen, but if you want to follow along in your tablet or follow along on your phone or, or if you've got your old school Bible, old school Bible people, hold those Bibles up. Let me see it. Awesome, awesome. Still love the smell of leather and paper. Anyway, okay, <laughs> Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18 this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. That's why it's called Ephesians. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Paul was their overseer. Uh, when the churches were being planted, he was their pastor, but then he would train leaders to take those churches, and then he would go somewhere else and start a church from scratch. And that is the gift of an apostle. That is is the gift of an apostle, somebody who goes from place to place where there is no witness for Christ or where there is no um, particular kind of witness for Christ, and they will go there and begin a new work. Now, we live in a day where people, even in the church world, really get wrapped up into titles. You know, apostle this and bishop that and elder this. Well, a real apostle, a real apostle, not just somebody who's named apostle— But a real apostle is somebody who does what Paul did. It is a specific spiritual gift in the Bible, okay? Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, and remember as I read this, God never commands you to do something you can't do. He will never ask you to do something you can't do. So look what he's about to tell you to do. Be strong in the Lord. So if he says do that, then you can. You can do that. He will make himself available, and our strength is where? Where is it? Okay, y'all, okay, I know it's early service. Let's back up. Act like I didn't say anything yet. You say, well, you really haven't said anything yet. Finally, be strong where? Good, good, good. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of what? His might. Here it comes, verse 11. Put on the full armor of God, and here's why you need to pull up. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to what? Against the schemes, tricks, strategies, plans of the devil. devil. Verse 12. Next verse, next slide. Verse 12. On the next slide. <laughs> For our struggle is not against other people. Our struggle's not against people. And I know a lot of you think that's where your struggle is, but it isn't. Your primary struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against Spiritual enemies, rulers against the powers, against world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the what? It means your main enemy is spiritual. Next slide. Therefore, put on what? Every piece of God's armor. Again, it's going to tell us why. So you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil, and I think we're in that time, that could also carry with the idea of in the time of temptation or in the time of a personal attack against you. Anytime evil is personally uh, toward you, and I asked you this question a couple weeks ago. Let me ask you again. Do you ever feel like the enemy takes a day off and just focuses on you but He takes a day off from everybody else? So in that day, in that time, If you put on the armor of God, you'll be able to resist the enemy. Then, after the battle, you will still be what? Not laying flat on your back, not defeated, but standing firm. Next slide. Stand your ground. Now, would God ask you to stand your ground if you couldn't? No. So, stand your ground. So, don't come... In those low moments when you kind of want to get whiny, how we all do, I do, we all want to get whiny and go, I just can't stand, I just can't, yes, you can, yes, you can, you can stand, you can stand no matter what's against you, no matter what's happened, no matter what unexpected thing has taken place, you can stand, you can stand. As a matter of fact, I, I want to tell you something, unbelievers in the world today are not looking at you when things are going well, they're looking at you when you're going through the fire. Anybody can look good when everything's great. The unbelievers of this world, the doubters, the skeptics, they watch us when the heat is on, when we're going through the storm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, we talked about that, and the body armor or breastplate of God's righteousness. This is where Pastor Jim picked up. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news. Again, he tells us why. So that you will be what? Fully prepared. That means mature. Fully matured in God, strong in the Lord. In addition to all these, excuse me, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. I love the way he tells you what to do and then he tells you why. That word "too" is a little word, but it means because or the result will be. Or the reason you need to take up the shield of faith is for the purpose of stopping the fiery arrows of the devil. And I heard Pastor Jim did just a great job on that. He sent me his sermon notes. Not quite as good as mine, but good. It was still good. Still good. Verse 17. Put on salvation. This is what we're going to talk about today. Put on salvation as your helmet and, and take the sword of the Spirit. That's what we'll talk about next week. And what is the sword of the Spirit? It is the what? So we'll talk about that next week. Last slide, I believe. And this is what we'll talk about two weeks from today, which is the final piece of armor. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and what? Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Okay, so the Christian life is anything but passive. The Christian life is not passive. The Christian life is not to be lived in a passive way. And I know there's this whole, um, I don't even know what to call it, this whole uh, approach to Christianity. Matter of fact, you'll see it on TV. A lot of times when you're watching a movie or you're watching a television show, a television show, and somebody's a minister. He's often very meek and he's often very weak looking, kind of pale, sanctimonious, got his little hands folded, you know, and it's kind of make Christianity look like uh, you just let everybody run over you and you just, uh, you know, don't ever ever be strong, don't ever have a strong opinion, just kind of go with the flow, be very passive. I want to tell you something, they can put that on movies and TV and they can portray that kind of... uh, Um, characteristic as being Christian, but the Bible does not bear that out. The Bible says Christianity is not passive. You have to live it intentionally. You have to live it aggressively. You have to live it with a strategy in mind. The Bible talks about being ready to respond when, when you are attacked, to be ready to respond when you are challenged. Now, we can do all things in love, but how many of you know doing something in love doesn't mean you have to do it like a wimp. Love, love doesn't equal wimp. You know, when when, um, when they were asking Jesus, or when they were asking, the, actually it was Jesus asking the question, he said, who do people say that I am? Who, who, do, who do the uh, folks say that I am out there in the world? And they said, some say you're Elijah. And Elijah was a man's man. Elijah was a an outdoorsman. He was a man's man. He was was not some uh, wimpish character in scripture. He said, and so some say you're, you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're some Old Testament prophet raised from the dead. Well, I don't know if you've read about the Old Testament prophets, but none of those guys were wimps, were they? And so evidently in them watching the life of Jesus, he came across like those Old Testament prophets. Am I making sense here? He was a man. He was strong. He was loving. He was loving, but at the same time, he was very strong. God is our strength. Yes. We remember when David told Goliath, he said, Goliath, the battle's not even mine, dude. The battle is what? He said, the battle is the Lord's. You remember Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20, when he was surrounded by the enemy, he said, don't worry about it, folks. The battle's not ours. The battle is, everybody say it. The Lord's, the battle is the Lord's, and that is correct. And it correctly teaches us that we're not to trust in our own strength. But listen to me, even though the strength and the battle is the Lord's, we are still called to do our part in this thing. The Bible tells us that we should be obedient. The Bible says we should be committed. The Bible says we need to be diligent. The Bible says we need to persevere. The Bible says we need to exercise self-discipline. So yes, the battle is the Lord's, and ultimately he is the one who wins the victory for us. But listen very carefully. You play a role in this. Your availability, your intensity in seeking him and being near him is a requirement from the scriptures. If you're going to win this battle over the enemy, it's not just backing off and saying, how many of you heard this little saying? I've probably used it myself. Let go and what? Let God, and that sounds good, and I know what that means, but you got to be really, really careful with that because that can send a message to just be passive, man. You don't have anything to do. It's all on the Lord. It's all him. It's all him, and yes, there is the part that God does, but then there is the part that God requires of us that we do in the church, said. The Apostle Paul certainly understood how hard it could be to live triumphantly as a Christian. You could never accuse the Apostle Paul of some kind of gentle surrender. Paul was a warrior. When you study his life, here are some of the words he uses to describe his uh, life as a Christian. The word endurance, affliction, hardship, distress. Now, some of these words we can use, some of them we can't use. Because here's another word he used when he was describing the difficulty of living triumphantly as a Christian. Beatings. He described imprisonment, tumults or riots that came up against him. Labors. He said, uh, I have many, many sleepless nights. He even described hunger because he had decided to follow Jesus Christ. Let me show you the perfect parallel to what I'm talking about. Let's go to the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. Now, Paul wrote this book too, and uh, this is a letter to the church at Colossae. Therefore, the book is called Colossians. So this is a letter he wrote to them. And I love this. It's a beautiful passage of scripture. Um, He says, so we tell others about Christ. You know, think about the bridge. Think about our responsibility as a church. And think about your responsibility as an individual Christian, okay? So we tell others about Christ. That's one of the things we are expected to do. We're expected to tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. That is the job of individual Christians, and that is the job of the church. Now, the reason that we want to tell others about Christ, the the reason we want to warn them and teach them using the wisdom of God, not our own wisdom, but his wisdom is this. Because we want to present them, the people we lead to Christ, we want to present them to God. How? Perfect. Now, we know that word perfect doesn't mean perfect in the sense of perfection. It means mature. We want to present the people who come to the bridge, when it comes to the end of their life, we want, because they came to the bridge, because they were in this ministry— And because they took advantage of the many opportunities we give for you to have prayer, for you to um, study the Word of God, many, many good opportunities for you to study the Scriptures and know the Bible. So we want to give you those opportunities. We want you to take advantage of them so that when you stand before God, and how many of us are going to stand before God one day? All of us. We want you to stand before God mature. We want you to stand before God, not just a Christian, but a powerful Christian, a strong Christian. That is, the, that is the role of this church. That is the ministry of this church. That is the calling of this church. And listen, listen, it is the calling of God on you individually as a Christian. Let me ask you something. Who's going to stand before God because they met you? Get that now. Let me let that sink in. Who's going to stand before God, mature, Who's going to stand before God, not lost, but saved? Who's going to stand before God, a strong Christian, because you influence their life? So it's not just the job of the church, but it's your responsibility to find somebody, your children, your family, of course, but find others that you can pour into You say, well, pastor, I'm kind of young in the Lord myself. Then get them to a small group or get them here in church on Sunday morning. Get them to a place that, listen now, this is big, that because they met you, because they came in contact with you, because they worked with you, because they went to school with you, because they met you somewhere and became your friend, they're going to stand before God one day, mature. So that's a big question, man. I mean, that's big for me. That's big for me, because God isn't just going to judge Pharaoh Hardison on what happened at the bridge. God's going to judge me based on my influence in individual lives. That's why I'm always pouring into young pastors, because I was a young pastor one time. I like to think of myself as still being a young pastor. Yeah, I could tell a lot of y'all thought that was funny, didn't you? But I remember how it was, man, at 20 years old, being a pastor. I remember how it was at 22, 25. I didn't know anything. I needed somebody. And that's why you're always hearing about me meeting with young pastors, meeting with groups of young pastors. I take phone calls from young pastors. I just feel like this is where I am in my ministry, and this is one of the big callings on my life right now. And so who's going to be mature because they met you? Who's going to stand before God one day, grown up, mature, strong because they met you? And I didn't mean to preach on that so long, but that's really good right there. Present themselves to God, perfect, mature, in their relationship to Christ, in their walk with God. Verse 29, here it comes. Here's that perfect parallel between God's work and our responsibility. Watch this. That's why I what? That's our role. we got to work at this, y'all. The Christian life is not passive. It's anything but passive. So Paul says there's two parts of this. Number one, I have to work. And when I work and try to do God's will in a world that is cursed by sin, that means there's going to be a what? It's going to be a struggle. I work how? How does he say I work and struggle? Not just hard. So hard. Look at the yellow. Now, here's the other part. While I'm working and struggling very hard, and this is, this is where the imbalance comes, and this, what, this is what will mess you up in your Christian life is when you've got that imbalance, when you work, 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 struggle, 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 but you're not doing the second part. I'm telling you, you will burn out because it's like the virgins and the, and the lamps of oil. When the lamps have no oil, how many remember old school oil lanterns and lamps? Some old people here. And uh, as long as there was oil in there, you put that wick in there and you light the the wick. It's not really the wick burning. What's burning? But if there's no oil in the lamp, what's burning? And it will what? It'll burn up. It'll burn out. So when you work and struggle, but you're not what? Depending on Christ's mighty power that works within you, you're going to burn out. That's good preaching right there. That's a good word right there. That's why some of y'all are so frustrated and you don't understand because you're working so hard in the church and you're working with the kids and you're doing what Pastor Farrell says and you're signing up and you're like, man, I'm doing it, but I feel so dry. I work for God. I work for the church, but I feel so dry in my spirit. I feel so far from God because it isn't just about the work. It isn't just about the struggle. It isn't just about the volunteering and being involved in ministry. You can't do it in your own strength. You have to also at the same time what? Depend on Christ's mighty power working where? Bam. Man, we could dismiss right now and go home. That's good preaching right there. But we're not. I got some more stuff. Um, So Christ working in me, total commitment to him. We depend on God and we give our all. I think it's interesting that when he talks about these pieces of armor, the first three, the belt, the breastplate, and the shoes, he talks about having those, having them. The verb is having, having on the belt, having on the breastplate, having on the shoes. Kind of gives the idea that we need those connected to us all the time because we never know when battle's going to hit. We never know when the enemy's going to strike, so we've got to always kind of have our breastplate on, our belt on, our shoes on. I could go into that, but I just think that's interesting. And then he says, he says, you take up, you don't always have this with you, but a soldier takes up the shield of faith. He takes up the helmet of salvation. He takes up the sword of the Spirit. Now, let's do a quick review on what all these things mean. The, The belt... The belt speaks of integrity as a soldier. Let me ask you a question. If you're in a battle, military, we've got a lot of military people here. If you're fighting beside somebody in a military battle, don't you want to know that's not a hypocrite soldier beside you? Don't you want to know that guy's committed to the battle? He's committed to being your comrade. He's committed to taking care of you. He's committed to having your back, integrity as a soldier. And that's what the belt spoke of. And I don't have time to get in that today, but you can go back and listen to all these sermons online at bridgechurch.cc. It speaks of living a committed life to victory in the battle. It speaks of pulling in the loose ends. Remember that he would take the, the... the um, cape that he had, he would take the other things that were kind of hanging down and he would gather them up and he would stuff them in the belt when he was ready to fight because he knew he needed speed. He knew he, he needed to be as agile as possible so he could be effective as a soldier and, and gathering up those loose ends, guys, that's, one of the, that's another thing that's wrong in our lives, in our Christian lives with God, is we got too many loose ends out there that need to be gathered in, that we need to k- take care of some things. You say, well, go into that. I've already gone into that. You'll need to listen to that in the other sermon. And then the breastplate, it's a breastplate of what? Righteousness. So it speaks of purity of life. It speaks of character. It speaks of the sanctified life. It speaks of godliness and holiness at all times. Godliness and holiness is a weapon. Man, could I preach on that? Let me just say this. People think they can live any lifestyle they want to live and have the power of God on their life. Can I just clear that up? God loves you, He loves you, He loves you. He wants to empower you, He wants to strengthen you, He wants to work within you. But I'm telling you guys, there are some things that we're letting in our lives. There are some things we're viewing, there are some things we're listening to, there are some things we're involving our life in, and it's taking our power away. It's time to get clean. Can I preach like that here? Is that too old school? Can I preach on sanctification and pure living? And righteous living because if you're not living you know one of the things that breaks my heart is I see people who say I've given my life to Christ but I don't see a lifestyle change I see the same things going on in their life now that were going on before they came to Christ so please 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 take note of that in your life and if you're if you're kind of again dry in your spirit or powerless you feel weak then go back and look at your lifestyle. Um, You say, well, I don't really know what you're saying or what I... Just ask yourself, what would I do? Would I do this or would I look at this or would I view this or would I be involved in this if Jesus were standing right here beside me in the flesh? You know, is this something that would please him? And another thing I talked about, and I don't mean to preach on this, but I just feel pressed right here... It's not really that you do something and say, because here's what I hear from people sometimes. They'll go, well, that's not a sin if I do that. I understand that. That one act may not be, but where's that act taking you? Where's that leading you? You know, hanging around that place or hanging around that person or, or being involved here. That's not, that's not a sin. I know, but where is it? Is it going in the right direction? Does that make sense? Is it going toward God or is it going away from God? Now, I know it gets really, really quiet when you preach like that. It kind of sounds like a funeral home in here right now. But I want a church with power, don't you? And, hey, you know where the cleaning up starts? Right here. It starts right here in this pulpit where we look at our lives and go, man, I need to clean some stuff up. I need to gather up some loose ends and tuck them away. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 and 1, lay aside every weight that makes it harder to be a Christian. Lay aside every practice, everything you do that just makes that uphill struggle steeper. Lay that aside. Lay it aside. Okay? And then the shoes, uh, Pastor Jim talked last week about the shoes. You know, uh, the shoes really speak of the fact that we've chosen sides in this battle. That we've chosen to embrace the gospel that uh, we as a soldier are now confident because we have given our life to Christ that we are on God's side and that God is on our side. And then Pastor Jim talked about the shield of faith, one of the ones we take up. And he talked about how this kind of talks about who we are in the Lord. And I can't get into detail about that, but you remember last week he talked about being acceptable. And that you're acceptable and you're valuable and you're capable and you're forgivable and all those things that he talked about last week. And then the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit and then we'll talk about prayer. So let's talk about this helmet of salvation. Now you all know Romans wore helmets and uh, they wore the breastplate because they knew that a blow to the chest could be fatal. They wore the helmet for the same reason. A blow to the head could be fatal, could take their life. The helmet... Primarily was protection from the huge swords that the enemy would wield against them. So in our battle with our spiritual enemy, Paul refers to our helmet as the helmet of salvation. Now when you first read that, here's what could be your initial interpretation of that. And i got to tell you, on this thing about the armor you cannot just look at that piece of armor and go, oh, I know what that means. When you begin to study it, you will find out that it might mean a little bit what you think it means, but much, it's much deeper. Uh, let me just go ahead and say this. If you've been studying the armor of God yourself on your own during the week, you probably have found things that we didn't bring out about some of these pieces of armor. Because if we had brought out everything that this means, uh, we, could have, uh, we could have preached this series all the way through the end of the year and still not covered at all. So you might find <clears throat> where the helmet, for instance, uh, is a covering for your thought life. I would not argue with that point. I think that would be a great point to make. That would be a great thing to preach on. As a matter of fact, if another preacher preached on it the, today, that might be the approach he takes. Uh, when Jim and I, Jim Wall and I, I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, when we were talking about um, him preaching, he said, what do you want me to say? What, what was the point you were going to make about the Shoes gospel and uh, the shield of faith? What, what were you going to say about that or where were you going to go with that? And I kind of told him a little bit where I was going to go because, you know, I'm right. you know. And so, so I was telling him. But then I ended our conversation with this. I said, Jim, you pray. You study, you get in there, and I knew he would. And I said, I just, want you to have, I just want you to know from me as the senior pastor, preach it, brother. Whatever God puts in your heart, you preach how God tells you and what you believe needs to be emphasized on that Sunday. I said, because guess what? God knew I wasn't preaching that Sunday. God knew before you and I knew that you'd be preaching that Sunday and he's got a way he wants you to say it and a way he wants you to preach it and I, from what I understand, did a great job bringing you the word. Here's my point. Here's my point. When you study something in the scripture and you hear somebody bring out a truth about that passage and it's not what you heard, God bless you. Great is the woman who bringeth water to her pastor. (coughs) Hardison 4.8. Um, so so when, when, when you're reading that, don't judge that person and go, no, 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 that's not what that means. Sometimes Scripture has multiple points, multiple truths that all blend. It's never going to contradict, but it's all going to blend. Are you all with me? So, so how many of you all have read a passage and go, man, i got to have squeezed all the juice out of that? And then you go back to it a year later and there's more juice. You know, it's like the guy at the fair that time, and y'all knew I had a story, didn't you? And and he he was like the guy who, uh, the strong man, and he would take a lemon and he would squeeze his way back in the old days. He would squeeze that lemon and man, he was like built muscular and strong and he would squeeze that lemon and he would just squeeze it till all the juice was gone. And then they would challenge anybody in the audience who could come up and get another drop out of it. And, and, um. If he could get another drop out of it, they'd give him like $10. And so uh, he squeezed it. Man, there was no more juice left. So they said, who thinks they can get one more drop out? And this little skinny guy, this little tiny skinny guy, looked like Barney Fife, you know. uh, And uh, he came up there, and he took that lemon and squeezed it. And one, two, three, five, ten drops came out. And they said, dude, who are you? He said, I'm the treasurer of the bridge. No, I'm just... (laughs) Where's Ricky? Where's Ricky? Where you at, Ricky? <laughs> oh, that's funny, isn't it? Ricky's, our, our financial officer, he's somewhere going, yeah, that's funny. Boy, that's really funny. Yeah, man, Ricky's been so faithful for the years, and we appreciate it. He's had to squeeze a lot of juice from time to time that we didn't think was there. And now uh, Jim Gillikin is the juice squeezer as well. But anyway, um, uh. So you might, so let me get back to what I was saying. You might think that when you read Helmet of Salvation, that what that means is you've got to be saved. If you're going to battle the devil, you've got to be saved. You've got to be a Christian. You've got to have salvation. Well, see, that doesn't really make sense because if you, if you weren't saved, you wouldn't be in the battle. Y'all with me? See, you wouldn't even be in the battle. You wouldn't wouldn't need any of this armor because the only people who can have the armor are people who are saved. So he's not encouraging us to be saved. He says, now now watch this. This is so beautiful. Because when you interpret the Bible, you have to go to other places in the Bible to know what a verse might mean over here. Y'all with me? So let's look at another letter Paul wrote, and we're going to see that he talked about the helmet of salvation in another place in the Bible. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians. He wrote a letter to the church at Thessalonica. So that's why this is called Thessalonians. And he wrote them two letters. And so this is the first letter he wrote them. 1 Thessalonians 5.8. But since we, Christians, followers of Jesus, because he's writing to a church, so he's talking primarily to who? Believers, Christians. So he says, but since we Christians are of the day. Now, what that means is we are of the light. We're not of darkness. We're of light. We're of the day. Okay? But since we at the bridge, Christians, followers of Jesus, are of the day, not the darkness, let us be what? Sober. How many of you know Christians can be um, not sober? In other words, they can be too frivolous about the Christian life. He says, live it intentionally, be sober. Listen, listen, listen now. There's a time to laugh. We all laugh. We laugh here at the bridge, don't we? We just laughed at Ricky Lancaster. We just laughed at him, and so we enjoyed it. And so we, we laugh here at the bridge, but then there's a time to get, right, get sober. Y'all with me? How many of you know sometimes humor makes a point better than a serious word? So that's why I use humor And somebody has told me if I ever stop preaching, I should be a comedian. But I really don't know how to take that. But anyway, since we are of the day, let us be what? Sober. Let us know what's going on around you. Don't be drunken, intoxicated by the world. But be sober, having put on the what? Breastplate of what? And you say, wait, where's the righteousness? Man, let me ask you something how better do we show righteousness than through and that is righteousness, that is purity when you're full of faith in God and love for your brother Jesus was asked one time, what's the greatest commandment what did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself and as a helmet, not just of salvation, but the what? the hope of salvation now watch this The word hope deals with the future aspect of your salvation. There are three aspects of salvation, three parts of salvation. When you are saved, how many of you remember, and I know this may be foreign language to some of you who are new to the church or your first time guest today, but how many of you remember the day you gave your life to Jesus Christ? You were saved. How many of you remember the day? Come on, let's testify. You remember the day <laughs> you gave your life to Jesus Christ. Let me drink some of this water this sweet lady brought me. I'm sorry. And um so, so that is the first phase of your salvation. Watch this now. This is important for you to get this. This is going to help you understand some things maybe that have been cloudy for you. When you get saved, you are saved, you are rescued from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin, and I know this is old school, and I know a lot of people aren't used to this kind of preaching, but the penalty of sin is eternity without Jesus. The penalty of sin is hell. When you are saved, when you accept Jesus Christ, when you accept what he did on the cross, when you accept his resurrection from the grave, you are saved. Listen, the doctrinal word there is justified. So the Lord looks down on you. Let's say somebody comes to the altar today and goes, I'm a sinner I, I want to admit that. I want to follow Jesus. That person's going to get saved, and when they get saved, God is going to immediately right then impart to them righteousness that if they fell dead right then, they'd go to heaven when they die. That is imparted righteousness. They had nothing to do with it. That is a gift of righteousness. They had nothing to do with it. Now, you're sitting there, and you're saying, well, You mean I could could not serve God all my life and then I could walk up there, give my life to Jesus and die walking out of the building and I'd go to heaven even though I'd live every bit of my life for the enemy and for myself up until those last five minutes or yes. Look, the thief on the cross is proof. The thief on the cross beside Jesus believed and when the thief on the cross beside Jesus believed, Jesus said, you're going to die. You're about to die because you're hanging on a cross. You're about to die. He said, but I will see you today where? In paradise. in paradise. Now, I know that's a really hard. Matter of fact, I preached this one time at the Goldsburg campus, and a young man came to me. He was, in his, he was in his 20s. He was in the Air Force. He was mad. I mean, he was mad. I thought I was going to have to go, karate kid, you kill him. kid. He just couldn't believe. He thought it was unfair. It was unfair that a person could live their whole life for the enemy and then right at the end commit their life to Christ, and if they died, they'd go to heaven. But see, that's justification. That's imparted to you. So that's salvation justification. That's the first phase. The second phase of your whole salvation process is that's past. That's what did happen to you, penalty of sin, present, Is a, is a deliverance from the power of sin, and uh, that is sanctification. The first thing that happens to you is justification. I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I'm a Christian. I just joined God's army, I just joined God's family. My name's in the Lamb's book of life. But then there is a process... That should be happening in you after this past experience. And it happens all through your Christian life. And it's that whole process of being sanctified, getting closer to God, uh, getting over old temptations. If you're growing in the Lord, here's one of the signs. You're going to be able to look back and go, you know what? I'm not tempted to do that anymore. I was tempted to do that when I first became a Christian. But I've grown out of that temptation. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you know right now that there were things when you were a young Christian, early Christian, that you were tempted to do and you're not tempted to do those things anymore? Come on, testify. Me too, me too. And that shows we're growing. But how many of y'all know that when you get over those temptations, there are new temptations? (laughs) There are new ones that you have because you are a stronger Christian. There are new ones, and so you need this work of the Holy Spirit happening in your life. Now watch this. This has happened to you And this is happening to you. This has happened. You have been relieved from the penalty of sin. But this has happened to you. And as long as you're on the earth, this will always be happening to you. You will always be gaining strength over the power of sin in your life. Here's what sanctification does. Sanctification doesn't uh, cause you not to be tempted anymore. But here's what sanctification does. It causes sin not to dominate you anymore. It, don't, it doesn't rule you anymore. We all battle with sin. Paul said, the good that I would do, I don't do, and the bad that I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. So Paul knew you fight that battle to the day you die. But then there's this hope of salvation, a salvation we haven't experienced yet. And the hope of salvation is a third thing, and it is in the future, and that is when we die and leave this earth, and we are delivered from not just the penalty and the power, but we're delivered from the very boom. That's called glorification. Now, we're a different kind of church, aren't we? I want everybody to say this with me. I want me some justification. I want me me. some sanctification. And one day I'm going to have me some glorification. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, listen. We're going to heaven. We're going to heaven. That is not a fairy tale. We're going to heaven. So that's the hope. I want you to experience justification this morning if you're not a follower of Jesus I want you to come and be delivered from the penalty of sin this morning before you leave the minute you walk out the door I want you to start on this next thing I want you to be able to look back and say I got saved on that day but since that day God has been delivering me not just from the penalty of sin but the very and one day I'm going to be delivered from the very because I'll be in heaven That's good preaching right there. Next slide. Justification has happened. sanctification is happening. Glorification will happen. Good stuff. So let me close with this, which means nothing. Let me close with this. How does that help me as a soldier? Well, time out, Pastor. Aren't we talking about the armor of God here? So how does that help me as a soldier? Well, here's how I think it helps. When I'm struggling, when the enemy's on me, when I experience unbelievable setbacks in life and problems in life, when I am attacked and persecuted because I preach truth, when when people get mad at you because you love Jesus and And when you're going through dark times in your life, like the loss of my son who died of a drug overdose, how do you get through that? Some of you don't know, I've had two strokes. How do you get through that? Some of you have gone through much harder, more difficult, darker things than I've ever gone through. How in the world do we win that battle? When the enemy focuses on us and just comes against us with all his might, how in the world do I get through that? Let me tell you. I get through it the same way Jesus got through it. The Bible says in the book of Philippians, I should have put this scripture up there, that the way Jesus was able to endure the cross and overcome the shame and humility and pain and agony and torture of the cross, the way Jesus was able to get through taking on his shoulders, which was the worst part of his suffering, was when he took all our sins on himself. The way he got through that, it's in Philippians, I believe it's chapter 4. The Bible says it's because he set his eyes on what was before him. He knew he was going back to heaven. He knew he was going back to the Father. So he set that before him, and that, was, that got him through the darkness. Jesus is our example in how many things? All things. He's our example in all things. So when I think about heaven, that helps me in my battle now. Because I got news for you. I would love to be able to stand up here, because I'm going to always tell you the truth. I would love to be able to stand you, and say to you, hey, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. Everybody hang in there, man. It's going to get I don't know if it's going to get better. Not down here. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to get better. But I know this. It's going to get better beyond this world. Matter of fact, it's going to get so much better. I don't even have the words to tell you how much more better it's going to be. So you've got to, how many of y'all would like for me to do a sermon series on heaven? I'd like to do that and, find, and just get to think. amen? Thank all seven of you. Um, <laughs> just think about heaven, what's going to be in heaven. Can I just give you some things real quick that are going to be in heaven? Can I just give you some things real quick that aren't going to be there? Can I tell you, first of all, no more sin. There's no more sin in heaven. It's going to come up on this TV right here in just a minute. There is no more sin, What'd I tell you. No more sin, Revelation 21, 27. Think of all the evil threats around us every day. Can I tell you when we get to heaven, no more devil, no more evil, no more sin. In fact, our very nature is going to change. We won't even be able to sin. We won't even be tempted to sin. No more temptation. Number two, no more pain or suffering. Revelation 21, 4. Paul could live with the sufferings of today. Look what he said because he knew what was coming. Look what he said in Romans 8, 18. He said that the sufferings of this present time are not to be compared with the glory. That is to be revealed in us. Number three, no more death. Who's tired of dying? Who's tired of going to funerals? Who's tired of crying and weeping and grieving over those who have gone before us? Who's tired of it? Who's tired of hearing about the death in the Middle East? Who's tired of hearing of all the evil there and the slaughter of little children? Who's tired of hearing about abortion and all this that has come out now about Planned Parenthood and seeing little babies laid out in a saucer in their little body parts? Who's tired of that? I'm tired of that. Let me tell you something. When we get to heaven, baby, no more death. No more killing little babies. No more killing in the Middle East. No more murders in the streets of America. There will be no more death. Hosea 13 and 14 says, He ransomed them from the power of the grave and shall redeem them from death. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Isaiah wrote in verse 20, chapter 25, he will swallow up death for all time. Number four, no more tears. Who's tired of crying? I'm tired of crying. I'm tired of crying. I laid in bed and cried last night. Who's tired of crying? I'm tired of weeping. I'm tired of crying. No more tears in heaven. You know why? Because there won't be anything to cry about. There won't be anything to cry about. You say, yeah, but I'll be up there, and I'll think about all those who didn't make it. No, you won't. God will erase every bit of that from your mind. He'll erase every bit of that from your mind. There will be nothing, nothing, nothing in heaven to ever cause you to weep. I love the scripture that says, he, my father, will take a heavenly tissue and wipe away the tears from my eyes. What a tender thought. What a tender moment when the Bible repeats over and over that God will, God himself will wipe away our tears. Some of the most precious moments were when my boys were hurting and I would wipe away their tears. And one day my father is going to wipe mine away and I think about what's going on in this world and there's no more persecution. I'm seeing Christians persecuted. We're not even being persecuted here in America. I see what's going on around the world with Christians. It might surprise you to know that more Christians have died for their faith in the last 100 years than died in all 2000 years before combined, combined together. See, you all thought persecution and dying for your Christianity and loving, that that was something from the old times. No, it's more prevalent today than it's ever been. Read Matthew 5, 11 and 12. It says that great will be the reward of those who have been persecuted. Number six, no more hunger. And I see hunger. I see people going to bed hungry in our own country of America, in our own city of Goldsboro. People go to bed hungry every night. In Revelation 7, 16, it says in heaven, no more hunger, no more thirst. The hope of heaven. That's what makes me a mighty soldier now. That's what makes me get through the tough battles now. I just think about I'm going to heaven, baby. I'm going to heaven. You're going to heaven. Can I ask you a question? Are you going? Are you going to heaven? You say, well, what what do most people say when you ask them if they're going to heaven? I sure do. How you can know. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, at the end of your Bible, right before Revelation, is all about knowing, knowing that you're a Christian. Had a guy knock on my door one time, he said, only 144,000 are going to heaven. I said, I sure hope that's not true, because I'm pretty sure that would have been filled up a long time ago. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. Pharaoh Hardison's going to heaven when he dies. You say, I know you, you're not perfect, thank God, you don't have to be perfect to go to heaven, because I know none of y'all make it. I'm going to heaven because of that first part of my salvation. I have been relieved, saved from the penalty of sin. I'm going to heaven when I die. When you get discouraged, and some of you are discouraged right now, remember, stay close to Jesus. Because when you leave this world, you're going to heaven.